baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Now this hour, this first half hour, we are now talking to another candidate. Uh, I believe this is the third candidate for mayor of Minneapolis. And her name, I'm sorry, fourth candidate. Yes, you're right, Jonathan. Um, Her name is Sheila Nazad. To have two women running for mayor, as you heard me say at the end of the uh, half hour, I'm just so excited. I stand a little taller because of it. It's just remarkable how many women are getting into politics. Yay. And making a difference. Sheila Nazad helped draft question two on Minneapolis ballot, and she has used the momentum to help her candidacy for the office of mayor. And she is joining us now. Hi, Sheila. May I call you Sheila? Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to have you. Okay. What inspired you to run? So I have been a community organizer here in Minneapolis for the last 12 years. Got my start doing LGBT rights and public health work and have spent the last few years um, specifically focusing on issues around public safety and policing. And I was frustrated uh, at the, the lack of change I felt we saw in 2020 when there was really widespread um, demands on the ground and also neighbors really stepping up to take care of one another after the pandemic and also after the murder of George Floyd. And I felt that our current mayor wasn't quite ready to meet that moment. So I asked my community, do you want me to run? And they said yes. And so here I am. Here you are. <laughs> are you having a good time or is it just unnerving at times? You know, it's both always, but I have a wonderful staff and one of the biggest joys of running for office has been to be able to hire a lot of young women, especially young women and queer people to give them jobs on my campaign and they keep me going. And it's been really fun because we get to talk to people all over Minneapolis, too. We actually, this weekend, just passed our goal, which was to reach out to 30,000 households in the city. Mm-hmm. Wow, 30,000 households. How about that? Yeah. Yes. Um, when it comes to mayor, what blows my mind is that a lot of people would like to be mayor. Um, and then it dwindles down and dwindles down and dwindles down to about four. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, you say to yourself, wow, why is it that people want to be mayor? Why did you want to be mayor? I mean, what was the first thing that came to your mind and what was the catalyst for that? Was it something that happened? Was it the incident with George Floyd? What What inspired you to do it? I was inspired because I knew that if I become mayor, I don't go into that mayor's office alone. There is such powerful organizing in Minneapolis around different social justice issues, housing justice, um, community safety projects, environmental justice, just so much good work happening on the ground. And we need leaders who are ready to stand behind those who are already doing the work in their neighborhoods. And so I felt it is, of course, um, a big job. But I know that 
I will be able to do it with others in community. And um, yeah, again, my, my leadership style is bringing more people into the process. And I think the mayor's position is a great way to do that. This year, the process has been a little more difficult, um, especially for Minneapolis, right? <clears throat> We're looking at um, so so many different ways of trying to reach out to people. We're trying to answer the call of, you know, what do we do with public safety? What do we do with the police? What do we do with so much more? And every household can be thinking completely different. So, you know, ranked choice voting, for me in my mind, uh, seems like it would be this would be a difficult year for it um, because a lot of people... People may not be sure of those three candidates that they want to put on there. Most, I know the people that I know, we, we usually start with one person we want to be, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the one who wins. But this time you have three choices. What advice could you give to um, voters about what is going to happen on Tuesday with rank choice avoiding? And if you decide to only put one person down, of course people can. But how would you encourage them to do more? Yeah, so Kate Knuth and I have made a pledge to um, to rank one another first and second. Mm-hmm. So we are encouraging our supporters. If you if you rank me number one, to rank Kate Knuth second, as we both share values around the new Department of Public Safety. We have we of course differ in um, some of our policy stances, but really stand united in, in calling for new leadership in the city. And I would encourage folks to really do your research. We found, I got a lot of good feedback about the TPT Almanac did a debate. Right, only right. Half hour. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So a lot of folks I talked to, because, you know, everyone's busy right now. So it's just a half hour. I'd really encourage folks to just watch that and, and see um, who resonates with your values. And, and please rank your ballot. At least one and two is helpful. Yeah, it would be helpful. Um, let's talk a little bit about what community policing is. A lot of the candidates or, you know, some of the candidates have been talking about the importance of community policing. What does that mean to you? Community policing, so as like a, a actual model of policing, so community policing came around. Its origins really are in the 1960s and has had different waves. Um, since then in Minneapolis, we've had various grants program. So I think in the 70s, 70s, 80s, we had the COPS, C-O-P-S grant program that was about getting more officers out of their cars to be in the neighborhoods and have had kind of different iterations of that over the years of different ways that police departments across the country have tried to um, integrate police more into the community. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. When I was growing up, community policing was, you know, fathers that lived in these communities who would go out at night, walk together side by side and just check on all the houses, you know, only go so far, you know, each neighborhood. And they would just be out there and talking to people and making sure, hey, you're doing okay. Is there anything we need to do for you? Mm -hmm. Um, Some of them were strapped with a weapon and others were not. And so Mm -hmm. I, you know, today, if you look at, look it up, 
uh, on, in a dictionary, it says community policing is the system of allegating police officers to particular areas so that they become familiar with the local inhabitants. That seems so <laughs> distant and disconnected Ooh. to me. I just couldn't believe it when I read that. It's like, really? That's what they came wow. up with? <laughs> what do you so, think about that? Do you think people think of it that way? Oh, my gosh. Inhabitants. Wow. You know, so I've been talking this whole campaign about I feel like we need to expand the conversation from policing to safety, because when we talk about what creates safe communities, healthy communities, we have to talk about, you know, your neighbors. Everyone has a home and they can afford to stay in that home. Young people have somewhere to be after school that's safe, that's productive with adults that care about them. Mm-hmm. All of these things are the foundations of safety, right? And a lot of them, social services, youth programming, we have been cutting funding for those for years, right? And that is part of what motivated me to run for mayor is seeing the potential in what we already have to care for one another, to prevent violence, to do that, just kind of checking up on one another, which, of course, is easier when you're not working two jobs to make the rent that's going up every year, you know, Um so, yeah, I think talking about safety, and we've seen examples of that long in Minneapolis, right, and, and uh, notable ones like the AIM Patrol and the Soul Patrol and kind of those more formalized um, community organizations. Right. You know, I'm getting a, a master's degree in leadership and innovation and ministry at Luther Seminary. And one of the things I always like to look at are the values of a leader, right? And you really put yours into your website. Um, your values are we deserve to thrive, not just survive, right? Love that. Justice and safety are intertwined. I stopped right there. I stopped right there and I went, okay, first of all, when you have communities that don't don't feel as though justice ever enters their community or their homes, uh, and so they feel unsafe as well, I, I, I wonder, what does she mean by that? Why was that the combination, justice and safety are intertwined? Tell us more. So, and I first wrote that when I announced, which was last December, Mm-hmm. And there was this push, there was, there, um, how am I going to say this? So I feel like there was this push to bypass justice to get to quote unquote safety by the sort of push for more policing, more militarization, all of this, while folks, especially folks down at George Floyd Square felt like nothing had been done in the service of justice, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, and the push to reopen the square and all of these things. And the more and more conversations I had, it was just like, we have to name it explicitly. You cannot get to safety without justice. And, so and if, vice versa, you know? Right. So if injustice is a part of the criminal justice system, right? Um, it's got to be a very difficult thing to reach that goal. I, I know that this is something you are passionate about, it sounds like. Um, so I'm just wondering, if if you became mayor, how quickly do you think you could actually um, get the um, inhabitants of Minneapolis? <laughs> <laughs> I'm oh sorry about goodness. that. <laughs> I just had to say it. 
but to believe it, that justice and safety are intertwined. Um, is there a different way that you can explain that in one sentence that everyone would get it? The way we get to justice and safety is by crafting our solutions together and by cultivating the conditions of self-determination. So in terms of what I can do as mayor, if we are able to pass question two and create this new Department of Public Safety, we will keep fully funded 911 and 311, and we will have the opportunity to develop some new community safety strategies, violence prevention strategies. And I want to do a census-style community engagement door knock, where we literally talk to every resident in Minneapolis to hear what safety means to them. And that's how we craft our solutions, because what we've been doing now is a handful of politicians or a select group of people or a task force are meant to speak for a whole community. And we're not getting solutions that stick, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So right. sometimes we have to slow down a little bit to be effective, to build solutions that are going to last. On your website, you also mention all of your organizational endorsements, you know, from Elon Omar to Twin Cities DSA um, to the um, Hispanic community. Um, you've got the um, um, LGBTQA that have joined in, Clearwater Action, and so much more. It used to be a time, like for me, I always look at the endorsements of the candidate, always. It's amazing, though, that my, my children, my daughter and my son, don't pay attention to that. They go for what they see and what they hear and what they understand, meeting that candidate, that sort of thing. And that's how they figure out who they're going to vote for. It's not those organizations that we believed in at my age, right? So I'm just wondering, you put that on your website. Have you been getting responses from people reading about those that endorse you? I do. And we did, we kind of went one step further and we put all the questionnaires we filled out on the website too. So even if an organization didn't endorse us, we put on there what we sent to them and people could read the nitty gritty details. And I thought, oh, no one's going to read this. But tons of people reached out and said, oh, we're so glad you put your questionnaires on your website. I wanted to read all about it. So, you know, I guess we try to I try to offer short, digestible things. And for those who want to go really deep, we have those there, too. Yeah, I saw that and I just thought, wow, that's cool. Most people don't do that because you're you're quite vulnerable uh, at that point when you put that out there. Did you feel Mm -hmm. vulnerable or did you feel like, you know what, this is me? You know, I don't have anything to hide. Right. Everything I do, I try to do it with the most integrity I can in that moment. And running for office is very public. So I've been very intentional and and that's the best I can do. Right. Exactly. I um, I'm just I really have enjoyed talking with you tonight. And um, I'm just wondering, what is the first thing you're going to do on Tuesday morning? Uh, I'm going to drink some coffee. No, That's I'm an everyday thing. Come on. My, my mom and I, my mom and I are having dinner um, after the polls are closed. We're going to get together, and I'm really looking forward to that because she lives out of town, so she's coming in to see me, and I'm really excited about that. Last question for you: You helped draft question two. How difficult was that, or how easy was it? Your your choice. 
Yeah, it it was um, it was an iterative process. So it wasn't easy, but it did feel good. We did a survey that we got over 500 people to fill out about what they wanted to see on the on the um, question, and I got to analyze that, which I'm a big analysis nerd as well. So that was good for me, but. Yeah, it's, you know, we're about to make history here. And that, of course, always comes with its own challenges. When you go back and read it, do you see anything you wish you had changed? You know, I, it's, it's tough because a charter is not meant to have a lot of detail, right? It's just the scaffolding. And we build all the other things through ordinances. So I wish I could put more detail in there, but that's not what this part is meant to do, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, So I guess I wish we could fast forward to be able to do both at once, change the charter and do all the ordinances at once. But alas, that's not how our system is built. Well, there you go. Uh, Sheila Nizad, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Sure appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right. Wake up well on Tuesday. You got a lot to do. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. We're gonna, you're welcome. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.